0: The following podcast was originally broadcast live during the IIEX Behavior 2020, presented by Green Book Events. I have with me today Rana Al-Kaloubi. She is a pioneer in artificial emotional intelligence, emotion AI, as well as the co-founder and CEO of Effectiva, the acclaimed AI startup that spun off from the MIT Media Lab. She grew up in Kuwait and in Cairo, Egypt, among family of technologists and educators. And she earned her undergraduate and master's degree in computer science at the American University of Cairo. Small little caveat, very low known fact is that I applied to the American University in Cairo and was headed that direction. So I have a couple of interesting things in common with Rana. But she actually studied at Cambridge as well and earned her PhD there. And then she joined the MIT Media Lab as a research scientist. There, she spearheaded applications of emotional recognition technology in a lot of different fields, including mental health and autism research. She left MIT to co-found Affectiva, the company that is credited with defining, really, the field of emotion AI. And their technology is used by more than a quarter of the companies in the Fortune 500 field. So she really um, has been a part of the game from the beginning. She is also an acclaimed TED speaker and was named by Forbes to their list of America's top 50 women in tech. That is so exciting. And Fortune also included her in their list of 40 under 40 This is one of my favorite little facts about Rana, and that is that she co-hosted one of the PBS specials Mm -hmm. um, in the Nova series on AI. But one thing I have to tell you before we get started, she is seriously a kind person. We have had some really great prep coming up to this interview, and it's so awesome for me to have Uh, Read someone's book and then met them and really felt the connection there So Rana Elkoyubi, it is really my pleasure to be interviewing you today. Welcome to IIEX behavior
1: Thank you for having me and um, IEX is one of the very first conferences I had the opportunity to present at and present our work at so it feels like even though we're virtual But it, it feels really special to be back.
0: Oh, That's awesome. I know being live is really amazing. I was thinking back about IIEX last year. We had the most insanely beautiful view of Boston, of the entire harbor from where we were. So I don't know what your view is today, but welcome to this interview. We're going to go ahead and kick it off talking a little bit about one of the interesting starting points in your book. And really, you set the stage beautifully Although a bit tragically, I do remember shedding a tear or two about a story you shared that helped people really understand right at the outset of your book what the symptoms are of the problems of disconnection um, of emotion and and what is really going on. So let's start with that. What are some of those telltale signs that you're seeing in our society that tell us that we have an empathy problem?
1: Yeah, exactly. The thesis of the book is we have to absolutely humanize technology before it dehumanizes us. And I kick off the book with this story that many of you may have seen in the use a few years ago. It was a, um, a group of teenagers, they were with their phones, um, kind of hanging around a lake, and they see this older guy drowning. Mm-hmm. And and they record they record the whole incident so it's on their phone and you can hear them laughing and making fun of the guy and the dad actually drowns mm-hmm. and um, these kids you know didn't do anything about it mm-hmm. um, it later came to the attention of the police and 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 uh, but, but but the whole the whole situation to me summarized this empathy crisis that um, we have because of, you know, because of our re- excessive reliance on technology, we have dehumanized each other. So when you are on Twitter or any other social media platform and you send a really mean message out there, you're not there to see how it lands on the recipient's end and how hurtful it can be. Um, and I and I really think we need to change that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's affecting how people connect with one another, how organizations connect with people. It's just... Yeah, it's, it's really kind of filter, filtering across everything we do. Absolutely.
0: Um, but you know, I, I think everybody on this call will agree with you. We have an empathy problem. We feel it every day. But why is this so connected technology? Kind of give me a little bit of a, of a primer on kind of why we wouldn't walk away and say, well, this is really a social problem. This is a behavior problem. This is a mindset problem. Or this is a, ty- a sign of our age why is this connected? And why is this an important conversation to be having connected to technology specifically?
1: It is probably parts of it, to be honest, are probably all of the above. Mm -hmm. But it's exasperated by the fact Mm -hmm. that technology is emotion blind. So if you look at how people naturally communicate and and communicate and express their emotions and mental states, only 10% of how we communicate is in the actual, and I, I know that everybody on this uh, already knows this, so I'm preaching to the choir. But only 10% of how we communicate is in the choice of words we use. 90% is nonverbal, and it's kind of split equally between your facial expressions, your hand and body gestures, and your vocal intonations, right? Like how fast are you speaking? How much energy is in your voice? Well, guess what? The majority of our digital communication is focused only on that 10%, and the 90% um, I like to say just disappears in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the amount of miscommunication or lack of communication uh, that happens when we are connected virtually. And we're missing out on all of these nonverbal signals that are at the core of how we build loyalty, how we build empathy, how we build trust. Mm -hmm. All of that is gone digitally. Right.
0: And it's how we're doing it in even micro, you know, our our family units. But it's how we're doing it in business, in, in, you know, in kind of bigger swaths of our of our duties every day. And then we're doing it, you know, as a nation, we're doing it globally. But I do I do totally resonate with that. I get people, you know, as a marketing expert, I get people ask me, can I use emojis? Can I, use you know, it's like we don't know how much of technology, even the good parts of technology we should be allowing in. And to your point, first of all, we connect because we're both very energetic and passionate people. And how different is it to be able to be talking to each other, even though we're really so far apart, but being able to see each other in this is where we, you and I can feed back and forth. So embedded even in the technology of this live podcast, we're having you know not just the audio, but we're getting something really rich right now. You know, this is why I love podcasts so much more
1: than just reading someone's blog. Right, absolutely. But also, like if we were in person together, you know, um, we would also see the audience in the room and we would be able you and I would be able to riff off of that energy and, wow. and feed off of it or adapt the conversation. And I I've been doing a lot of these virtual events because the book launched right in the midst of the of the pandemic and I've just found it so hard to not be able to see our audience uh, nice. and get a sense of you know are they sitting there rolling their eyes and like <laughs> or are they really engaged and perked up? It's uh-huh. or yeah. I'll do you one better, Rana. It's
0: also when I feel like I'm on stage anymore and I have people who are doing this. Right. You can either take that that they are completely disengaged, but then sometimes I get off the stage and I realize that my Twitter feed blew up. That everyone was like, "I can't believe what she's saying. This is so good." But you know, and you took it as such a negative up on the stage. And so this is an interesting way that technology is affecting us, even when we are in the same room. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. So uh, you and I do have a lot in common. We did grow up overseas. I'm sure that we're still very connected through some of the beautiful things about technology, how we can be connected from family that's far apart, you know, people in our childhood. We can't be close to them geographically, but we can be close to them through the magic and wonder of technology. But short, short story. um, I grew up in Europe, you know, lived all over the U.S. And now I live in Kansas, work in Missouri. So, if You can imagine, I do not um, share a whole lot of um, similar views to people that I live in close proximity to. Mm-hmm. This caused a lot of problems several years ago to the point where my short version is that I'm off Facebook. I can't oh. do it. I could not figure out even I'm a social media expert for companies. I could not figure out how to live with this technology and to have it be anything positive for me beyond, you know, like I couldn't make it way out. Of course, I've suffered a terrible loss by not being able to really be in immediate communication with some people that I, I really, really love. But there were elements of it that I could not work out. And so in the balance, I weighed it out. And I walked away. So I'd like to kind of give you that story and hear from you a little bit of it, because the fact is we've all embraced technology. It's here to stay, it's how we work, it's how we live. And there's no going back, right? It's very My story is very, is very rare that people just completely disengage from. and of course, I disengaged from one small little piece, not from it all in the rest of my life. But if you could just take that example and then talk with us about your experience. You said something in your book I want you to expound on so much because as soon as you said it, I was like, and I'm listening to Audible, um, and so I get to hear it in your own voice, which kind of goes to the point of what we're talking about today. But you said what you started with in this podcast was that your goal was to humanize technology before it dehumanizes us. So I've experienced that a little bit. It dehumanized me enough to where I got out of it. So paint for us a picture of what you hope you can accomplish with emotion AI and what needs to be done so that we can embrace a future that enhances some of the best human qualities, specifically empathy, (laughs) caring, um, and, and we don't have
1: these situations that I described. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry you, you had to go through this. Uh, I mean, I think this current social media platforms in the way they're designed tend to be very polarizing. And again, there isn't that sense of compassion or empathy, um, um, which is unfortunate. But I, I do think there's an opportunity to reimagine what these platforms could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that we'll see a lot of innovation there. Um, I think at a highest level, like technology is becoming mainstream. And I don't see a universe where we do away with technology, because it is really helpful. And it helps us be more efficient. A lot of the focus of AI in particular is around the IQ of the AI, the cognitive intelligence, Mm -hmm. uh, automation, efficiency, productivity. And given that it is mainstream, and it is interacting with humans on a day-to-day basis and so ingrained in our everyday lives in terms of how we connect with one another. Um, potentially, we're seeing AI uh, drive our cars in the future, help with our healthcare, um, right. hire our next co-worker, right? Um, we need AI to not only have this IQ, but to have EQ and to have elements of emotional intelligence. And I fundamentally believe that this will not only change Our relationship with technology, so human-machine interfaces, but will fundamentally allow us to reconnect with one another in in a lot more empathetic ways. So Mm -hmm. the core technology has a lot of applications across many, many industries, um, some of which I I really do believe Mm -hmm. the potential to transform that HCI, but also HHI. Yeah.
0: Well, you do bring several of them up in your book. And I know in your work with Effectiva, you're dealing with very interesting verticals. Why don't you give us one example of one, something that really excites you? Because you say you have hope that this can happen. I have hope that you can
1: make it happen. You know what, I, I... Found out very early in in my journey at Affectiva that it takes takes a village Mm -hmm. in all sorts of ways. And the ecosystem that we have created around us and that we're part of, I'm so proud of. And I really think together as an ecosystem, we can ensure that this technology is applied in ways that... you know that we're proud of right so as a company we're focused on a number of, of i'll start there and then talk about some of the other applications i'm very excited about um most kind of applicable to this audience is we do a lot of work trying to understand how people consumers emotionally engage with content mm-hmm. it's where we it was the very first application we explored and it's our biggest product if you like to date so we're deployed in 90 countries around the world um, we have analyzed over nine and a half million facial responses, you know, 55,000 online video content, um, which has allowed us to amass this really fascinating data, um, which not only maps to like consumer behavior, like what are consumers going to do? Are they going to buy the product? Are they going to share this virally? But more I think more interestingly, Mm -hmm. uh, it's given us this window into how different cultures communicate emotion, how different genders communicate emotion. Um, So I'm, you know, we've been really looking at that data and it's quite fascinating. And I think we're only scratching the surface. So that's one huge bucket. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're starting to expand into online qualitative research, uh, online focus groups. So I'm also kind of curious and excited about that. Um, the other really core area that we're focused on is automotive. So, mm-hmm. ensuring that our um, cars are safer. Um, so, doing a lot of like driver distraction, driver fatigue, um, drowsiness, um, but also looking at what is the state of the other occupants in the vehicle and can you personalize and recommend content. Mm-hmm. So, again, the two worlds kind of intersect. Yeah. Because um, once you understand how people respond, you know to content you can personalize it um, right
0: you bring up such an interesting point both of us have, have lived in different cultures you bring up this great point about how different cultures um, have different reactions different um, different um, uh, affect and different um, ways to express certain emotions so tell us about something interesting there and and how you can how you as a team are being able to not only see this within a culture, but globally, that's very tricky work. You can't, just as much as you can't, you know, um, translate a joke exactly across the world, you know, tell us how that that plays into this emotional um, intelligence. Yeah,
1: so a few kind of findings, right? We found that um, the, by and large facial expressions are universal, but there are cultural norms or display rules Mm -hmm. that when do people amplify an emotion? When do people choose to dampen it or mask it altogether? We found that um, women tend to express uh, more emotion and particularly more positive emotion. And and so so we found in the US women um, showed more smiles uh, 40% more of the time than, than men did. In, in France and Germany, it was only 25% more. And in the UK, we found no statistically significant difference between <laughs> men and women. I don't know if you have any Brits. uh i <laughs> it. calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fascinating. And, you know, yeah. It raises a lot of questions, yeah. but it's kind of interesting,
0: yes, I did see a funny meme, and now we 're breaking down into a meme, but it's my podcast, so I can do what I want. <laughs> this meme when Covid came uh, you know really started emerging. It's like, hey, if women you know are wearing masks now, are we going to get asked to smile m- more?
1: <laughs>
0: you know, this is very much a cultural norm that we yeah. you know we can take for granted, but when you were really talking about improving our experience with technology and improving our lives as humans. this is where it starts breaking down. And I love where you come at it from saying we are just scratching the surface. You guys have done an amazing quantity of work that is leading us to quality. But I know in talking with you at other times too, you're saying, but what it's really doing is bringing us to ask better questions. And I I, I love what's happening there with Affectiva. So I guess let's, let's kind of say, well, where do we go from here? Because we have a lot of Great people that are listening, um, and uh, and we know that there are a million nuanced questions. We are going to open it up for about two. Probably have time for about two questions. So I'm I'm prepping the audience. Get ready. If you want your uh, your question to be uh, answered, then make sure you get it in the feed right now, and I'll do my best. But you know, we in this group, we have a, an audience who is absolutely in you know head down in behavior, mm-hmm. and we, we're with you. We know that empathy is what where we need to go, um, and it is really just kind of coming into a mainstream vocabulary. To be honest, right? Right. Um, but for us in business, we're all kind of old hands at it. And um, but what's happening right now? If you could speak just a little bit more to the the really the current current environment that we're in, because we are experiencing a heightened stress with. Right. We're uh, we're experiencing heightened race divides. We're experiencing um, heightened uh, even class perceptions. Just everything seems to be on you know on uh, maximum. Um, you know it's fire hose time right now. So tell us about um, what's going on in your mind and with your group. What are you thinking about for important things that we need to be asking ourselves right now? And is this maybe the best time to be studying it?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest—I mean, AI and emotion AI in um, particular—there are so many applications. Uh, For me, what's most exciting is the the potential applications in mental health and telemedicine, which we have seen accelerate uh, Mm -hmm. over um, because of um, because of the pandemic. Um, but I also believe that there's a lot of innovation we're going to see sit on top of these virtual live streaming and video conferencing platforms uh, to create a more of a sense of a shared experience. So I, I'm excited about that. Um, one thing that I spend a lot of Mindshare thinking about is as we continue to build these um, algorithms and these technologies, how do we make sure that we are building them in an equitable and a, an accessible way. And for me, like ensuring that, for example, the algorithms are not biased and that the data we're using to train these algorithms is not biased. That's top of mind for me. And the solution, which comes back to your comment mm-hmm. on all of the systemic injustices in, our, in, our, in the US, but also around the world, yeah diversity and inclusion is going to be the key to solving this problem so the more diverse are, the brains are around the table who are designing and deploying these technologies the more likely it is going to work for all of us mm-hmm. uh, so that's something where I'm spending a lot of time thinking about and also training the next generation of AI thought leaders and innovators you know the you know young people who are thinking about mm-hmm. entering a career in technology or or you know neuro neuroscience or neuromarketing all of these areas um, really I feel it's incumbent on us to kind of highlight where this can go wrong, not only where it can be amazingly impactful.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to break into Q&A, and I have one that leads right from what you just said, and that's specifically, you know, you talk about having diversity and inclusion at the table to solve this problem, Um, and we usually, when we hear that, we think, okay, you know, gender, we think race, but also you brought up another issue of diversity, which is age. So this is interesting, because we do need people who have had a a life without the internet. And we need people who who don't even can't even conceive of a life without the internet, right? So we need both people, both voices are very important. But there's one question on here, Molly Purcell is asking, is there still a disconnect in people's minds between real work and the internet? And I would say real world, real work. you know, what, what have you found, because you're so immersed in this, what, what, what is, where
1: are people's minds at with this? I, I I think we see that, I mean, I think this would resonate with all of us. I think the way we communicate in the real world is different, mm-hmm. it's slightly different than the way we communicate. We see that in our Slack communications as a company, for example, we've had to tell people, hang on, you would never talk to this person in, in person that way. Why are you doing that over Slack? And so we've had to come up with our own rules and guidelines on like Slack, Slack etiquette and <laughs> um, so I, I do think there is a little bit of a disconnect between how people manifest. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I often say like technology provides the illusion of a connection. Oh, that's, that's good. good. Yeah. yeah. We have to always think about this, like when we are building these relationships online, um, how real are they?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it can give you that false sense of connection, which can be just as dangerous. Correct. Oh, okay. I love that. Okay. Someone wants to get a little specific about um, uh, your work in, with automobiles. So the question is, what has been the biggest challenge integrating emotion AI into the automobile uh, uh, vertical so far?
1: Hi, Clint. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, thank you for reading the book. He was one of uh, the very first uh, early readers of the book. Of course. Sentient, sentient's going to be like, yeah, yeah <laughs> to win it. To win it. Um, I think the biggest challenge with with integrating our technology into the car is that it's it's just, you know, it can be light, daylight. Uh, it can be night vision, people wearing caps. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, a lot, a lot of things happening in the car. So it's just a very, very brutally, like, tough environment mm-hmm. for our computer vision um, kind of algorithms to work in. And so uh, we've. I would say that's the hardest mm-hmm. uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's actually picking up on it, being able to get a read. Correct. It's being able to get a read given all of the crazy things that can be happening. I mean, we see people, I mean, it's a little crazy, actually, mm-hmm. but when we collect data of just normal people driving around the city or commuting to work, you know, people are eating, they're putting makeup on while driving, they're on their phones, they're sleeping, even though they're driving. So it's, it's just, there's a lot going on. Right. Um, (laughs) That makes it tough for the algorithm. Right. I think a lot of us in terms of back to the question about real world or internet, we also
0: don't want to be aware of how much people are using the internet in their car.
1: (laughs) right? Exactly. That's that too, yeah,
0: for sure. Okay, well, we could go on forever, and I'm going to post a couple of these other questions ongoing and social. But I want to get back so that we can um, just know what's going on next for you. What, what what's in the works at Affectiva, and uh, you know, either you want to say something that you're just completing, or maybe even talk about where you're going next. What's
1: so exciting for the team? I think tactically speaking, obviously pushing ahead with our automotive roadmap, and and I, I'm excited you know, our technology will be in cars in the next few years. So I'm excited to see that um, on the media analytics slash market research front, we're exploring things like online focus groups. That's really been really new for us as a result of the pandemic. Um, but also we're expanding into um, entertainment testing. So I look forward to seeing how people respond to all these like move, you know, movies and TV shows. So that's kind of fun. Um, more broadly, though, I think there's just still so much opportunity for this technology. Again, mental health comes to mind, stress, anxiety, depression, Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to see our technology enable some of these use cases. Um, And then just really kind of bringing back um, yeah. Bringing empathy back into the equation in terms of not just the technology, but also how we lead as, 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 as a CEO, um, I think empathetic leadership is just so key. So I, I look forward to kind of a re, reconnecting with empathy, and and for the world to recelebrate the importance of empathy. Um, well, you started this by saying that this is your crew.
0: IIEX is one of your favorite things, and you know certainly researchers are your jam. So so talk to us. You have us all here. What do you need? You you know I kind of was like, hey. Ronna, I'm putting all my hope in you, (laughs) but I love what you had to say just ever so quickly. It's like it takes a village, so you've got the village here. What would you like this research, you know, audience to take away? How can they help? How can we fine tune what we do every day in the world to help you know move this along in the in the in the best direction possible? So this was not rehearsed. So I'm gonna
1: okay. I'm good about putting people on the spot. I love it. I mean, imagine. I think scale. Right imagine if we could quantify people's emotional experiences as they as they live their lives on the internet I mean I'm on I'm I'm online all the time for better or worse it's how it's how it's how I connect with my family it's how I connect with my team it's how I consume content So it's how my kids are learning. So imagine if we could map out the emotional profile um, of people with people's consent. Like, obviously there's a lot of data privacy questions here. We don't have time to go into that, but, but being thoughtful about it, I think that would just be so fascinating um, to kind of unlock that because I, and, and, and unlock, you know, what is, can we quantify empathy? Can we get to a point where we have an empathy metric? The data driven, right? I mean, that would be like so cool. And you can then start to experiment and build hypotheses on how do you accentuate that empathy and how do you leverage that empathy? So I I, I really think with this technology, we can quantify things. It's almost like an oxymoron. We can quantify things that have usually been just very gut based. But now we can have the data to, to drive these decisions. So that's my call to action for everybody here. You know, it does give me hope in the sense when you start talking
0: about, you know, a very difficult thing to quantify, but it's all in the attempt to quantify it that then we also learn how to teach it. Right. And so if we can truly understand all the components, then we can do that. And if you look at all of, you know, the business effort that happened in leadership over the last decade, really two decades, you know, leadership, well, you're either born with it or not. Now we don't believe that because of the data, right? And we're teaching people how to to, to lead, which seems like a very you know fuzzy field. And so, to that way, maybe for those people who feel like this, empathy feels very fuzzy. But there are ways that we can get around it. So I I absolutely, I absolutely love that. Al Kayubi has been our guest today. She wrote the book Girl Decoded, and I'm telling you, you need to read this. <laughs> and even better, I'll give you points if you listen to it on Audible, because she reads it. And I love it when an author reads their own book. It's, again, to her point, it is that personal connection. So, um, Rana, we're going to actually take a lot of these great questions that are coming on, if you'll be so gracious, as to answer them out on the feed. We're going to tag it with IIEX. So if everybody could just be following that social, we'll get to expand our learning here from Affectiva and all the work that she's actually put in over the years. Rana, thank you so much for coming to IIX Behavior. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Ponderings from the Perch. Have a great day and happy marketing.